Hey everybody, welcome to the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast. This is part two of an interview series. If you haven't heard part one yet, go back and check it out. But for those of you who are here at the right time, thank you so much for listening. Let's get into it. For someone who would be, say, unfamiliar with the difference in under 10, under 12, under 14, under 16, under 18... Could you summarise the difference in stepping up between each of those? So, at National League, there's different rules that they play in the different leagues. Um, At under 10s and 12s and under 14s, I think in the conference level, there's rules around how you play the kids. So, you're not allowed to go, right, this is my best five, and I'm just going to play them non-stop. You know, have a team of five or six, seven players and just bring in my best guy. So, if you're not good enough, you don't see the court. I think at under 12 level, or under 10 even, under 10 locally, you need to have 10 to 12 players on that squad. Because the idea being is, the first five play for five minutes, and then five minutes through the quarter, the ref stops the game, all five players come off, and the new five come on. And so everybody gets to play the same amount of time. Wow. And And on this point, it's actually a, 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 a fantastic rule because it creates... Um, oh, it creates. What was it? I had the word in my head. It creates. There's this um, strategy mm. comes into it. Massively. Do you play your best five? Great. I love or, that. Or do you not? I love yeah. that. And then you got to think you about it. You have to mix it up. If you if you have got two fives and you go right, you're gonna the best five is gonna start. Second five is gonna end every quarter. When you get to that fourth quarter, that means you're ho- probably closing out the game with your worst five players. So it's a great rule. for me, and you will, can't interchange. No, no. Oh, this so is great. So for me, we're strategy. Not, that is, that's literally like F one tire changing. Yeah. Sort of which tires you going for? And uh, I've seen a few games where a coach has played his best, um, best five against Portsmouth. They're up by twenty, and then the second part of the quarter happens, yeah. and then Portsmouth start coming back. Yeah, we, we did it last season. Yeah, last season against the team that we played. Maybe that was the times. one I watched. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. they played their best five. We put out a five, and we still had two or three of our players who probably would have been in our best five. But I never, because we had this rule in, I never went, right, you're my best five starting the match. Because I knew that, actually, when we went to the bench, I didn't want to bring on five guys who were then going to get overwhelmed. So I wanted some experience on the court all the time, some guys who have been there, played previous the season before. So it's easier for me to go, actually, do you know what, I'm going to put... You two have got more experience. I'm actually going to put you on the bench because I want you on for that second unit. And I think what they did is they went, well, there's our best five. And then when they took their best five off and put their second best five on, okay. we had it, they had to go up against a couple of our better players and it got us back in the game and it was quite successful. So does that frame how you do training as well with them? For under 14s, yeah. For me, I was never, never training, right, I'm going to put you five together. I was always mixing up the guys I'd never go right I want you five to be playing together every week yeah, yeah. I'd be okay well this week positionally we always knew like the, the two biggest guys on the team they were always on opposite teams and they were never on a team together however when the season come around there were times I did have to play them together because you looked at the other team and actually you know we've got an advantage here so in that second and fourth quarter under 14s it was only the first and the third that you had to do five on and five off the second and the fourth you could do whatever you wanted so I was like right okay you used to have them play five minutes each in the first quarter and the second quarter I'd have them play a bit more together or I'd have them play together 
you know, maybe maybe start them both on the bench and bring them both on a couple of minutes into it and try and see how we're going, depending on how the game's going. That's yeah. really impressive, the strategy level. I, I genuinely didn't realise yeah. that level. That I mean, Not as in the level of coaching, how much more as in how much entertaining it would be for being a coach in that because the level of strategy there is... So I know some coaches didn't like it. They, really? we'd go. I think it was called the passerelle rule that they called it and some coaches go oh do we have to do this rule and it's like it is the rule it's in the basketball England rule well, book. it it's stops like, players yeah, yeah. sorry coaches from playing their best oh, the player best five the whole game yeah or the best yeah. two players the whole game you know what I remember a, a, a tournament that I was coaching an under 12 team at and it was their first time they were playing mm. so it was just like getting more court time and just just have fun guys it's all about and um, there was one team that um we were pretty even and we thought this is going to be a good game and I said to the coach should we do that rule the whole game should we just sub our five players so we haven't got best five the whole thing and he went yeah sure so we had a gentleman's agreement and we did it and literally it just made the game so much more exciting for the kids I think going back however many years it was I think four years the score was like 36 36 with Brilliant. 30 seconds left. Can you imagine if you did that with the men's team? <laughs> Maybe fighting to get on the court. That would be amazing. Yeah. So, well, so at what point does it stop then? Does that rule go away? Under 16s. So what, at under 16s, yep. you still have to do it or no, you don't under do under 16s, you don't have to do it at all. Oh, so from so under 16s onwards, upwards. it's like, do what you want. Yeah, but yeah, you can put your best five out together and then, you know, you could play six, seven guys. You probably five guys if you really wanted to, if they stayed out of foul trouble. However, 15, 16 year olds, it's a bit hard to get them not to go for blocks all the time. I'd imagine jumping for steals, they're going to get fouls. Of course that was the step up physicality wise yeah. for the game for yeah. under 14s to under 16. And also, you you got to think at a basketball game at under 16 level, they're they're quick. You know, they're running up and down the court. They're jumping really high these days and they're, they're really working their socks oh, off. Oh, yeah, I mean... If don't... you try and get a 16... If you've got a 16-year-old who can play flat out for 40 minutes, yeah, then, you know, that's well, that's amazing. You know, they are going to be knackered. They are going to go, I need a breather, I need a breather sort of thing. You know, and that's what the whole... That, that I love about basketball, that you can go, actually, do you know what? Hey, come off, you're going to jump on. You're going to sit on the bench, chill out for five minutes, get your energy back, have some water, and then... Five ten minutes later on, depending on when the game is, how the game's going, right? You can go back on now and play because it kind of it helps. It helps. They need that. Well, that that perfect example is Zion Lawson, mm. where you know he, I think he was under 14s, but he was playing under 16s, and then when he should have been under 16s, he was playing for the men's last year. Yeah, yeah. So if they're good enough, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. You know, when your body is well, potentially your body's developing to the point it, where he you're was playing one who with men. was supposed to be on the under 18 team last season as well. So he would have got more development playing under 18s because that would have been a better one for his his age. Cause even though he's kind of training with the men and getting some minutes at the men's game, if he was playing under 18 basketball, he would have been one of the guys last season who's probably relied on for three quarters of a game. Yeah, you know, he wouldn't have seen that much time on the bench because he was that good. Yeah. And the, the good players, you do have to play a little bit longer. As long as they stay out of foul trouble, injury-free, all that kind of stuff that they need to learn to manage their bodies and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Hey, Tom, so just on the National League side of things now. So this year you're taking on the under-18s yep. as head coach. Um, last year you were running the under-14s as head yep. coach and you came third in the league. Yep. 
um, which you know personally I think that's an amazing achievement yeah we did well yeah. um, again this is National League we're talking about mm. um, and then the year before that you were under 14 that's right National League but you were assistant coach yes and where my question comes in um, you had the current men's head coach for Portsmouth Force Daniel Fatima Day was head coach that's right what was that like you know sitting next to him working out what his methodology is what his strategies are you know did you benefit from that massively um i'd never coached at national league level so it's that step up i've done local leagues and i know about the whole five on five off rules and all the kind of little rules at local league level done before whereas natural national league is that step up and it's kind of it's a big step so you're like right okay we've got a major step here that we need to make sure we're we're ready for um daniel come in with all the experience he'd had from coaching the uni and even before that he'd played quite a high level himself at youth basketball I believe he played for england at some point i believe for one england youth player um so had all that experience that was that was great and needed and it was it was good to learn from him to saw how he conducted training sessions um, some of the, the drills and stuff that he uses, I still use some of them today. You know, like, like for example, when we're learning a drill, you know, get the ball, run down one end, play that drill, do that five out offense or four in one out offense, whatever offense you're doing, go and play it down that end against nobody, make 10 passes, score a basket, and then turn around, you're coming back this end and there's a defense there. And you're playing, you're doing what you just did then, but now you're doing it against defense. And afterwards, the defense get the ball. They go and play against nobody and come back. And that kind of thing, it was kind of, they were embedding the play because they were doing it against no one. And then when they were coming back doing it against defense, they were getting that used to doing it against both. And it kind of, you could see that it really worked because, you know, we had a, a couple of plays that we ran last season that we started off from the year before um, when we started running a play. And then we learned it, got good at it. And then one of the teams that we played, because we only had one play at the time, they scouted it so they knew what we were going to do and they oh, jumped no. on a couple of passes and were like right okay so I had to call a timeout they like, scouted a play only because we'd run it so much in the first half oh sorry that's just during the game yeah during, so we'd run it so much in the first half and we were keeping up with them that their, their coach I said right okay he's going to run down he's going to say this and he's going to pass the ball to his left or his right so the guards marking those guards on left right were just jumping in the passing lanes and stealing it run around so I, I had to call a timeout and say right okay call it fake the pass and then go the other way you know all those little tactical things you do but when we played them the next time it's like right okay we're not going to run that we changed it and did something different did like a simple baseline cut play and it worked because you know their coach put in hand like all they're doing is cutting down the baseline and we were doing it but it was working because we had a couple of big guys we were cutting on the baseline and they'd either score or the defence would collapse in on them, bang, out to an open shooter who'd hit a jump shot giving away the secret sauce here Tom you've just got you've just got to but the fact that they were doing it every week at training and we were drilling it into them, that they knew what they were doing, that when it come to a game and they call it, everyone knew what they were doing. And that's what I think the tactical side of basketball is. You need to make sure that they know what they're doing, but they also need to know it really well. Um, and that really helps rather than just turning up and saying, right, yeah, you guys play. Because they don't understand where each other should be, all that kind of stuff. And it made it easier for everybody. Well, fair play to that other coach as well for yeah. picking up the fact oh, that you were running a play consistently mm. and figuring out, well, that's what it is. Because yeah. yeah. like you say, some people are like, on you get, you learn yeah. the stuff and yeah, exactly. let it's them free will. Our thing's always been fast. If it's there, take the fast break every time. 
And if it's not there, we slow it down, we run something. We don't just go headless chicken. I mean, Jason Colgan used to use that term. Don't go headless chicken and just run around all over the place. Don't go headless chicken. True, you shouldn't ever do it. Um, Tom, just, just going back before that, then um, what was the impact for you as a, as a coach? Because you were a coach um, when COVID happened. Because we went from, right, we're going National League, we're all yeah. ready to roll, to stay in your house or you're going to die. It was so tough. And it, it, it really was tough because at the time I was coaching, the, we had a local league um, that we were playing in and we'd won every game. So the boys were all really up for it and they were already buoyed and then all of a sudden it's cancelled. Okay, fair enough. And this was kind of February-ish time. And then communicating with the guy who was running the league at the time saying, oh, okay, well, hopefully COVID will stop and we can get back to games. But by the time it actually did stop and we could get back to proper organised basketball, we were that far away, it wasn't worth it. Were there any were there any games that were played in the league or did the whole season just The get season canceled? just stopped because the next season that we could actually play was the next season. So it was kind of like, wow, we've just got to kind of call it to a halt there, which is, it, it made sense and it's fair enough. And then we went National League or... Yeah, I think we were all training and getting ready for the National League um, and seeing how that goes. And that was that was really good. It's an eye-opener to, to see the guys who played on that under-12 team step up and have to get ready to play under-14s National League because a lot of them were, their age groups had gone up and, you know, so on. But yeah, and we had that, can I think there was an under-14, um, sorry, National League season was cancelled. I think we had the lo under-12 locally, then COVID happened and we were supposed to have a game, we were supposed to have a league. But that league stopped and didn't happen. I think that was the one that you and Craig were going to coach us. Yeah, season. we were doing... The 16s, was it? It was under 16s yeah. and under 18s. Yeah, and I think that kind of didn't happen because I think I was trying to sort out a local league for the 12s to play in that year. And then because COVID didn't happen, it's right, okay. And then the following year, when it all, right, okay, we can, we can start again properly yeah. and it looks like going back. That's when um, Daniel would come into the fold um, following his time at the university. Um, wanted to get involved and help us out and, and it's been great ever since and, yeah you know I do, I do remember I think it was under 18s I was coaching and um, me and Craig had this play uh, a really old school Mickey Byrne play that we'd in absolute instilled into the team this one play um, but there were like this one play there's probably about eight variations that may or may not happen depending on what the defense did and these guys were running it like mm. so quick absolutely perfect and i remember me and craig were sitting there like you know watching them just run through the drill and we would try and get it get get them to play it against people who didn't know what they were doing and they were killing them yeah. absolutely killing this with one play and we were looking at each other going we're going to have an effect on the league this year and then bam COVID happens and yeah, it's we, horrible. that was the it's one horrible. thing that frustrated me we never saw him Produce. use that play yeah. because then the season happened and where did they go I think some of them started going off to itch and well, yeah. so it must have been the under 18s yeah I think I think it was the under 16 I think it was under 16 because after that you had the 4 or 5 who were still under 16s the next year and then you had the guys who were too old who went to itching and stuff like that and, and moved oh, okay. on and we didn't have an under 18. But yeah, it was, it's tough. It's really tough when you've got that kind of level there. It's, what do you do? You know, that COVID did, did mess things up, but thankfully it's all bounced back. And uh, I think we all appreciate now that there isn't a 
pandemic and you know we can go on but the biggest side for me that the club has grown over the past sort of four or five years is the number of coaches we've got involved and we couldn't do it without everybody there because it, it is brilliant you know when you see all the guys who do the fun and fundamentals on a Sunday morning and the Saturday morning sessions as well now it's great and we got some of our junior guys some of our junior players actually go and help out coaching doing a the really, really good young job. ones on a Sunday yeah really good job and, and it's brilliant and then local league we've got 10s 12s 14s 16s local league teams this year well that's like five or six coaches who are doing that new coaches who've you know coming in to coach at that level and then you know we've got what's it 12s 14s 16s 18s national league guys who have got at least one coach in all those age groups and there's a couple that we got two coaches you know and and doing that as well and they're all picking up and and spending their time and energy coaching and it's just we couldn't be as big as we are without the coaches that we've got at the club and I think that's that's a great thing you know you hear of other clubs who are trying to oh yeah we got five teams in the National League and we've only got one coach and their fixtures are having to sort out because they're trying to play back to back with different teams so they can take their 12s and their 14s and their 16s up it just it makes it so much easier where we've got so many guys involved that we can say right we know that John and Jeff, for example, from the under-16s. They've got under-16s under control. Well, they can just focus on it. They just need, that's, that's all they need to worry about. And they've got a team manager there who helps them out. That's all they need to do. You know, that's their that's their thing. And we don't, we're not worried about them doing anything else. They've just got those guys to run and to work with. And it, and it brings that coach closer with the players as well. I think, uh, I don't know if the word is success. I think this, maybe the success of going National League and having the men's team has, um, you know, just fueled you know that momentum yeah. for people to say I want to be part of it yeah definitely definitely I, I, I love it I, I said earlier on I love going down Ravelin Park on a Saturday watching those the men's team it's just, well, it's just brilliant I want to come back to the men's team in two yep. seconds but just on that note what you're talking about with the coaches and I know Mark's brought this up before about all the you know the um, the staff in the background mm. you know all the time that people put into it um Let's just want to like time. Yeah, that is, you know, my question it's, is like, what's that like on you as a coach? Because you're just doing one team, so you're doing under 18s national league. Yeah, but how how does that affect your life? It's uh, it's a lot um, because you do get really into it with the players. You do get really into it with the league. You're checking the Basketball England website at weekends 10, 12, 15 times because. Oh, has, has everyone updated their scores yet? You know, I know that this team was playing this team away. I want to know what that score was. I want to know how they got on because we played them last week and, you know, we had a close game with them. So if they really beat that team, then we got a good chance against them. Or if that team beat them, oh God, that's going to be a tougher game. All that kind of stuff that you do when you look at league tables, especially early on and towards the end of the season, you do look, oh, actually, those top two teams are playing each other with this week. That's a really big game. And if we're in that mix for to win the title you know that could really affect how we finish so you've got that thing you've got two training sessions a week um you go to and you're coaching at and at the moment it's, it's a killer for me my session is monday 8 till 10 p.m at highbury and uh, by 10 o'clock i'm shattered you know but i've got a load, bunch of lads who are 15 full-time 16 time job as well yeah exactly yeah yeah full-time job come home at sort of four or five o'clock Everything sorted, then I'm back out, ready to coach at eight, and coach a two-hour session, you know, and then next day. Is it sustainable? Um, it's good when you've got, there's two or three of you on there. Lucky I've got someone assisting me this season, which is really good. Um, so he's from the university, a guy called Bao, 
um, really great skills coach. You know, he knows what he's talking about skills and it's really good to be able to turn around to these guys and and because they see him and he's a, a young guy like them and they've probably played against him at Orchard Park and things like that, they really respect and they see his skills. Yeah, so yeah. if they see him doing it, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, he knows what he's talking about when he tells me about this dribble move or you know, straighten out my jump shot. You know, he knows what he's talking about and it, and you can see that effect on the individual level. So I, I love that because I'm probably more of a team strategy guy sort of thing. So it's kind of like, right. I think they call that an X as an O's guy. Yeah, yeah, kind of. So we can look upon, right, you do that side, the skills. I'll do the strategy and the team play, you know, so you do your bit for half an hour, three quarters of an hour. Right, now we're going to run this play. We're going to drill this into the ground and, you know, get ourselves up and running and then we'll play some games at the end of practice. But at the moment, we're training on a Monday. Uh, we do have a session on a Saturday. My problem is with under 18s, of course, once they get to 16, they leave school. A lot of them get part-time jobs and working on Saturdays and all this sort of stuff. So my Saturday numbers have been dwindling, you know, for, for people who actually turn up to sessions, which is disappointing, but I completely understand it because, you know, they need to have that freedom and earn their money and things like that. Yeah. Um, but then hopefully come September, we're going to have two evening sessions a week. Um, so there's that. And then there's worrying about who you're going to pick for the game at the weekend. And then when it comes around to game day, how are they going to play? You've got to potentially drive to an away game, which could be an hour off, two hours away. You know, play the game, which takes it out of you as a coach. Even though I'm not doing anything, I'm shattered after the game because you're, you know, you're up yelling at the sides, you're really getting into it. It just drains you. And then obviously on the way home, you're thinking about, God, what could I have done better? You know, I always... Oh, that's the worst thing, yeah. isn't it? You're thinking, what if? What if I called a time out there? Or what if I didn't shoot that shot yeah yeah what if i didn't what if i put another player on in that instance what yeah. if i decided to actually instead of pulling him off early because he was in foul trouble perhaps if i leave him on that might cause some problems you know what i mean it's that kind of thing you've you go through all these things in your head yeah. about it and it does give you sleepless nights and then the following week you're like right okay we're back at it again and you go to training right what didn't work what worked at the weekend what didn't work we work on that we progress further and it's just kind of it builds throughout the season yeah I usually used to say to the kids we we either going to win a game or we're going to learn something yeah and, and great you know, that was the way I always try to put it across you know what I, I mean you're, you're like this when um, me and Craig um, were coaching together I, you know what I, I generally think Craig is an absolutely fantastic coach and I, I, I hope he um, you know progresses National League because um, I think it's just it's just going to benefit yeah. Portsmouth. But we did this, I think, two years straight, and the kids didn't know what was coming. But a bit like what you said, you've got the young guy, and because he's running up and down with them, there's a little bit more respect there. And so these kids don't know who me and Craig are. So we were like, first practice, we're lacing up, and we are going as hard as we can on these <laughs> kids in a game. So we'd be doing a normal training session ends up in a game me and Craig are on the same team you know they come in Craig's like boom swatting yeah. it all like, I'm getting the board driving in going out hard but we did it because it instilled more respect because they were like oh god these guys are 40 and they can play against us mm. and it was like you know you, yeah so it was just something we did two years mm. in a row and we thought it was quite a good little tactic just to it is a great tactic because you, they do need to know that you know what you're talking about and you know that's the big thing if you can get their buy-in and that's what you've got to hope that you get buy-in on their 
that we can push ourselves forward with it. Well, that brings us to the Portsmouth Force. Hey. Talk to us about that briefly. Portsmouth Force? Yeah. Uh, what, the men's team? Yeah. Yeah. As I say, said loads of times, I love going down there Saturday night and watching those guys. Um, it's, to me, it's really important and it gives the, the kids at the club something to aim for. You know, we've already got a couple of our under 18 boys who trialled for the men's team this season as well as the under 18s. And they started going along and training once a week with the men as well as training with us. Wow. So they're getting that experience at playing with the best men in the city at Portsmouth Force, the best team in the city. And, you know, I don't know whether Dan's planning on playing them at all for the season. I don't think he is. I think his idea is they get the game time with us, but yeah. they get to come to train once a week or however often with the men and see how it's done. Um, I know the plan, which is changing with regard to court training sessions, is that the under-18s are going to train before the men. So if people want to stay and watch the men's session afterwards, they can. So we can have that idea of this is what the men's team are doing. And they kind of can build from that. Um, I think it's just great to have that set up in Portsmouth. You know, because in years to come, hopefully, we'll get some lads who started at the final fundamental session five or six years ago, end up on the men's team. We're introducing them as starting five, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know what I think is really good? And um, who was it who told me? It might have been Rob told me this because we we had like a a club barbecue on Mm. Sunday just gone. And um, Rob was talking about before the men's game, they're going to do an under-18s game. Lovely. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool, brilliant. I'll bring all the stuff and I'll do what I do for the for the men's for the under 18s team. Awesome. Yeah, because that's that's it'll be great, yeah. wouldn't it? Oh, awesome. Yeah, they'd love it. And I think something I think something like three or four times that's going to happen. We haven't had the full fixtures because they're trying to sort it out because so many so many teams we've got playing. And we haven't spoke about the girls. The girls have got an under 14 team this season in the national league oh, as well. Brilliant. So you know they're they're there as well and they're in the mix of. You know, National League. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Because that was that's always the one thing with Mm. with Portsmouth, where you know we've talked about it before. It's the I don't want to say negative. It's Mm. it's the gap we have to fill. Yeah, it's getting that women's National League. Yeah, that's right. We want both. You know, why not? Why not? Other clubs have men's team and a women's team in the top levels, and you know, and throughout the the youth sports as well. So we're hoping that that kind of has the same effect that had with the boys. You know, we started off with one team and then it, it grew because people oh, actually Portsmouth have got a National League team so we, we want and then oh, actually, actually we've got enough lads here to have two or three teams and now five teams and local league teams and all the rest of it and hopefully we go the similar way with the girls because be, we've there's a couple of couple of girls who used to come on to our girls session and one of them Anna she's playing on the England under 16s team at really? the moment Blimey. yeah because because to get to play local or to play at a good level, she had to go to had to go to Southampton play with the Kestrels. Yeah, and it was the right thing for her to do because we couldn't offer her the standard of basketball that they could at the time for girls. And that's the bit where I think we're doing really well. Is we're now getting there to actually you don't need to go to Southampton yeah. to train. So what she's playing? Yeah, Portsmouth under 14s this year. No, 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 no. Shows no. I think she's still under 16s, and okay. she's still from the Kestrels because and and she's been playing great. Um, you know, doing really well, but she started off at Portsmouth in these sessions at the girls' session on a Tuesday the night. Players are around, and, yeah, players they? around, and it's around. and that's a kind of that's kind of the dis, dis, you know the half thing that actually if we had it sooner, you know, 
would Faye have done all this for us and playing for Portsmouth? Would she have been the player, the same player? Obviously, she would argue probably wouldn't because, you know, the coaching that she got under Vicky, itching and so on. But you don't know, do you? We'd hope that we could build something. It'd be nice to have something in place so when she's at the the latter part of her career, she could get that tick of, right, I've played for Portsmouth National League if she wanted to. Yeah. That's kind of, I'll imagine how... Yeah, exactly, yeah. But you never know. She might end up in the States. Well, who knows? I mean, what a trajectory already. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Nothing but respect. We've talked with, with, with the force, actually, about the amount of people in attendance and how much the crowd becomes the sixth man and really gets behind. Is that how does that work in in youth basketball and yeah it's it is great when you've got it's generally parents yep. who come and watch but I think the older you get the more interested your mates become at coming to watch you play. So sometimes it, under 12s it's generally parents who are there to watch their their little kids playing and you know grands and granddads and aunties and uncles coming on to watch the game, which is brilliant um, when you get older you've got the the lads from the school or the lads from college oh yeah come along and watch we got this game and they get a bit more behind the team um, I know they've started I, I don't know how I feel about it at youth level especially the younger age group with the old stamping your feet to put the guys off free throws and stuff like that I think it's fine at 16 and 18s I think when you're doing it at under 10s it's no, under 10s under 12s just no, no I don't you don't need that. to put put the youth guys off that much I'll tell you what refing that yeah is a challenge yeah because I, like I think it was under 14 and then under 16 level there's no rule to say you, you can't, can't do it yeah so I've got yeah. parents looking at me going ref why and I was like well you can do it like why don't you do it against them yeah. and they were like oh, okay and then it actually got louder and louder so it actually turned quite nice but <laughs> it's um it's a tough one that yeah it is it's really tough it's really tough and i get it for home court advantage i don't like doing it on the road because it's a case of actually i'm a parent watching harry play under 16s a couple of years ago and like do i do i do it or do i not do it you know and it's you kind of oh i'm doing it when when james was playing under 12s national league yeah. i was doing it <laughs> under 12s i was doing it like yes we all know your reputation so it's, it's like yeah. you know yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's it's you can't wrap people up in cotton wool their whole lives. No, no, true. I think um, the the interesting thing there is that basketball, not say fundamentally, was always a, an American sport. But mm. growing up, we could all see it. it was an American sport. It was an aspirational level based on it being an American sport yeah. as well. And if you saw films, they, they had the high schools, and you know that was their infrastructure. It was the, you know you had the high school that feeds to the college that then goes to you know, NBA. Yeah, yeah. But that was you'd see on a film and it was you know i'm not gonna say like a team wolf in for a perfect example just some cheesy film you still have all these people and your friends and stuff yeah. if they're under 16 even under 18 they're all there and they're getting used to that bringing that to the force this year what we noticed certainly with the last sort of four or five games towards the end was more and more getting audience participation affected the gameplay definitely and I think thank you Mark thank you I think we kind of need to the answer was dodgy but <laughs> I think that the crowd kind of needs to learn a little bit more about how to be a basketball crowd I wonder how yeah. many people have been to an actual NBA yeah. game yeah and, and, and understood it I mean, we, we did a separate one just about atmosphere at mm. an NBA game because until you've been to a real one yeah the, the, game, the London game doesn't count either the game is here 
but there's everything going on around yeah. and it's a whole experience it's yeah. not just there's a basketball game yeah you're there to watch it but there's everything going on around whereas even in you know the, the rugby games or anything like that it's, it's not quite the same no it's not no no i think i think it's it's i think what you guys are doing with the whole you know music and all that sort of stuff i love it and it was brilliant seeing the progression from the first game of the season um and then like i think it was like three or four games in it was like oh god it's gone dark you know you discovered the light switch to turn the turn the uh the, uh, the lights up and so down you know, and it's it's like <laughs> don't tell yeah, anyone it was brilliant and then like the it. entry music were you the one who oh, screamed <laughs> Someone screams, it must be me. The lights got out. Yeah, I think yeah. from the start, it was like, uh, I'd probably say a technology challenge yeah. is what we had. It's just trying to get the right technology in in, in there and, and how are we going to do that? And then it evolved into, you know, that stats program, which evolved into the in-game sounds. And then when we, re- when we saw the impact, I can't remember what the first one we did um, was, but we saw an instant impact from the crowd and we were like next home game i'm going to have 20 of these yeah and and we started playing it really quietly so, and i remember one of the referees just turning around and went can you turn that up during the game i was like all right and just turned it up and then that was it we were off yeah and i think we had to get them like you said educate them yeah wasn't it it was yeah. about saying there isn't a rule against it because that's what you were fighting with bb wasn't it it's was very much what's the rule about this because the rest were like, are you allowed to have all this going on well, it at was, this level? Well, when I went through all the documentation of BE, there's nothing that says you can't do it. But I was trying to say, am I allowed to do this? Because I remember doing it and one ref said, no, you can't do this. This is an unfair advantage. I'm like, what are we talking about? You've got cool. 350 people here. What are you talking about? An unfair advantage. And he goes, and I remember him saying, I'll get the rule book out. Um, and find it for you and I was like yeah definitely do it and he went through it and he went I can't find it I went it's not in there I've read I spent a day literally a day going <laughs> through it you would need at least a day to go through that rule it's, book with all the little oh there's so many oh, so, so much stuff so much going documentation. on yeah, yeah. but um I, yeah I mean I think it's it's um gone where it is but Mark I have forgotten something <laughs> it's just popped in my mind we we talked about this um so as soon as I bring this subject up you'll know exactly where I'm going with this, we could be sitting next to the the biggest Portsmouth Force fan. <laughs> for those for those who are unaware of this, Mr. Tom Milner has taken Portsmouth Force to a level that no other person in the world has taken it. Sacred ground. He has got a tattoo, and it's not small, a massive tattoo <laughs> of the Portsmouth Force logo on his arm have you seen this mark i have seen it mark, let's uh, show it get it out get it. look at that under the t-shirt tan now your tattoo portsmouth force <laughs> tattoo if, get it. There if it you is. want to see this tattoo there is a picture on the facebook <laughs> portsmouth force page um and you'll see a picture of tom with with the tattoo yeah. on display that is dedication well did you knowingly get that tom yeah knowingly yeah it, it come around from Good a long time i was Paul knows was involved in these conversations about naming the club for years because it was almost like right you know come in on through Portsmouth and all that's one to three Portsmouth it didn't sound good so you wanted something you know a nickname and when you hear of other clubs in the area Kestrels Winchester Royals the Reading Rockets you know Brighton Bears they've all got that that nickname that surname that meant something to them and we wanted something and 
we've been talking for years and years and years, and it's we've never got one settled. Pirates, so, yeah, there was, there was smugglers, yeah, there was a few, wasn't there? So we finally agreed on Portsmouth Force, and then Rob went off and managed to speak to some guy who designed logos and got it done. And I was playing golf with Rob, and he said, "What do you think of those logos?" I said, "Yeah, they're really good. They're really good." He said, "Jason, that'll make a wicked tattoo." And it come into my head. I was like, "Oh, I see what oh, he did yeah. there." And I thought, you know, I've got no other tattoos. That's the only tattoo. The I've donkey got. sees the carrot. He's on but it. I just thought, <laughs> I thought, if someone gets the first one, it needs to be someone who's been involved at the club for years. Yeah, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. And Tom, yeah. would you ever consider getting a larger um, tattoo of that on, like, on your or across your back? Across my back. Let's Probably not. Let's do it. Go fund me. Would you think we'd? Would you? Would you ever change your name so it'd be Tom <laughs> Portsmouth Force Milner? <laughs> no, definitely not. I'm not going to turn up in a waistcoat and big silly hat like Mr. Westwood. So someone, beer. someone could overtake Tom with his tattoo. <laughs> does does Tom change their does name? Does Tom know that, that he, technically he's also representing the Fury almost? A little bit, yeah. A little do you bit. Know, you know? Do you know this? No, what's this? Um, I don't. Oh, I think it's in the, in our first history of. So when the Portsmouth Fury was established, um, it was originally called the MPG, New, okay. pa- New Power Crown Generation. And then after a year, they changed it to the Portsmouth Force. Oh, wow. Okay. And then um, they were only playing local league. Yeah. And then Alex Byrne created another team and he went, we're called the Portsmouth Force. Um, so Mick... Obviously went to Andrew when you can't be Portsmouth Force anymore, so they spent ages <laughs> l- looking for a name, and it turned into Portsmouth Fury. Yeah. So the Portsmouth Force was originally the Fury, oh, and then okay. it would have been Alex's team for like five years, local what, league. Was that oh, okay? Was it like kind of linked into the Navy or anything like that with the Force? Is that? No, I don't think yeah. so. I think they just like the name. Yeah. Just think they like the name. Um, so yeah, when when you all got talking and saying right, it's the Ports of Force in the back of my mind, I was like, all right, that's the the Fury name from yeah. twenty years ago. Well, you know but, all the conversations we had there about names, and we wanted something that was kind of unique, unique to it? us. Yeah, because we looked at other names. Oh, actually, there's an American football team called that mm. in Ports of. Oh, this this team's called that, and you know we wanted something that. I think the idea is when you Google Ports of Force, we're the first thing that comes up. That's yeah. kind of what we're thinking about, rather than it being on page two or three or even the third or fourth item down the list we want us to be the top name of it so yeah, that's kind of you know ports of force i mean you've obviously got like the the, the naval force yep. forces but i mean we we play a little bit on the star wars using yeah. the force using reference the force. during the games um so yeah could have yeah. like force of nature as well there's lots of different ways you could go with yeah. force you know so tom we've yep. all our guests so far have taken on the challenge of trying to score on our, on our in-studio basket right so I know you've had a few goes on this already yeah um, one out of 50 I think it was. live for those live. who don't realise as well when we say in-studio basket this is like you know cribs like at MJ or Shaq's house where yeah you know, it's a full court scenario exactly yeah. yeah so it's about 20 foot away isn't it and um, <laughs> only one person has scored oh and that's Steve Ware. Okay. He's the only person who scored, and he, he actually we, originally we were having given people two shots, and he wanted a th- he wanted a third shot. So the third shot is known as the Stevie Ware bonus shot. So go now. yeah, yeah, go do it, and I'll, I'll introduce you. Here we go. Yeah, now 
Tom Milner, head coach for the under-18 National League team for the Ports of Force. He has gone straight to our line. He's 20 foot away. He doesn't look as serious as some of the other players. He's got a nice smile on his face. What happened? Did that go in? Oh, that second one was an air ball. This is the Stevie Stevie Ware bonus shot. That was an air ball. Wow. Steve Ware remains the only person to score the in-studio basket. Did you feel the pressure of that, Tom? I did. felt some pressure. I didn't want to be. <laughs> but it sounds it, like it, I've got people joining me on the It's all fun list. and games. All fun and games. And as soon as you get on the line, yep. get serious. Get serious. Does get get serious. serious. So, um, I mean, we're just going to wrap up. But I know Mark has two questions he likes to ask every person who comes on the show. Do I? <laughs> yeah. So you got one shot and it's, oh, it was going to be always like the, I, I was thinking about this. Do you know what? I was thinking about this and Andy Rodens, his answer has really got me thinking about this. So that first question, I'd like to go with, with him and the way that he took the question. So the question was, if you could have one person to take that final shot, game seven, you're down by two, or down by one, game seven, so this is whether it's going to be a two or a three, whatever it is. That was originally the question. But Andy took it as, if you could have one person to take one shot for your life, who Ooh. would it be? I think I said, it's a shot for your life yeah, at some point. Cool. And so he took it as, this is a shot for your life. And his answer, I'm not going to tell you, but it was brilliant. And I've been thinking about this and I thought, actually, I, I, I almost prefer that more than just... Oh, one shot for yeah. your life. Or the fate of the world. Yeah, fate of the world, one shot for your life, whatever it is. Who's the person wow. that he goes to? And, and this is, is, this is alive or dead? Oh, alive or dead at yeah. any time in any their time. life? Yeah. It's got to be Jordan. Surely. What it had it, to be. It, what? He's already done it in, once in the Space Jam. You know what I mean? He took the shot to, <laughs> to save the world, so I'm going All with right. him again. Best for answer so far. Well played. I like it, that. It's a consistent response to that question. It is. It is a consistent response. That's why I was trying to change it, but yeah. Consistent response there. So the other one is all-time. Now, we'll start in five, but you do get a sixth man. Okay. All-time. Anyone. Any, and this can be FIBA, BBL, Portsmouth Force players, you know, chucking in NBA. Ex-Portsmouth ex Smugglers players. Yeah. You're, if you ever get on a list, just that is like a charity <laughs> bone, isn't it? I'd, I In the NBA, I follow Phoenix. They're my team. Have been for Someone since 92. Well, I, I got into basketball in the 90s where the dream team was the team. You know, that Summer Olympics was big. And I supported Phoenix because of um, Charles Barkley. And also in the 90s, early 90s as well, if I remember, yeah. Phoenix, Charlotte, and I can't remember who else it was. They had those really cool t-shirts where, like the when Charlotte, the Hornet was coming out the yeah, front yeah. and it was coming out the back as well. And Phoenix had the same one where the ball was coming out the front and at the back as well. There was another team, but I can't yeah. think who it was. But they, prom they promoted them quite yeah. heavily. So because of that, he was mainly the reason I kind of got into basketball and I kind of modelled myself a little bit on his game because he was a sort of undersized power forward which is kind of where I played a little bit wow. um, so Charles Barkley definitely Chuck uh, I'm going to keep it with the Phoenix route I've got to say Steve Nash 
as the ultimate point guard. You know, made more passes. And what I loved about his games, he didn't care about scoring. You know, he could, if he wanted to, take over a game and score 30, 40 points, but he was more interested in getting his team set up right and running a good offence. Um, so those two... Oh, he didn't do so well coaching Brooklyn, though. But. No, no, he didn't. Yeah, yeah. There's a... <laughs> Teaching that pass-first mentality to uh, Kyrie Irving was obviously a bit of a hard task for him. Listen, I'm, I'm a Mavs fan and yeah. I've stuck with Kyrie now, so let's not yeah. go on that yeah. danger wow. road. Yeah. Um, modern day, got to put Devin Booker in there. He's absolute hero. He's wow. Honestly, from I get up in the season at sort of five o'clock in the morning when Phoenix have got a game on the night before to watch it before work, so I don't get it spoiled by seeing the result on the internet, so I can watch it almost live. Um, so yeah I watched that um, as much as he broke my heart when he beat us in the 90s for the champion I got to put Michael Jordan in there as well <laughs> <laughs> and and he beat the aliens in Space Jam so we got to put that in oh god the last two um, guys I've really enjoyed watching and going kind of a bit off the off that Shaq Shaq was really good dominant massive huge player um, I think that would that five would be quite awesome. Uh, and then probably enough Who's one. Who's on the bench? Who's on the pine? Have you got to go up to and say, just take a seat for a minute? Sif <laughs> guy. It's hard because I want to say somebody, but... Say it. Do it. Tim Do Duncan. It. Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. Oh. Fundamentally sound yes. player. Uh, yeah. You know. He was, he was just awesome. And I don't like it because, like MJ, he killed Phoenix many times in the 90s. You know, knocked us out of the playoffs and stuff like that because he was that good. But eventually, you got to respect those guys. And actually, yeah, he was that good. And that's why we couldn't get over the hump. And we probably should have had a championship if it wasn't uh, going up against his team. Has he got times. four rings, did yeah. he? Is it four yeah. rings or five? No, I think he's got... Oh, I was going to say five, but I know I San Antonio four, won five within a... I think it is five. He got one with David Robinson, and then he got a couple, three, and then he got one with Quiet at the end, didn't he? Yeah. When they beat the Heat in the early 2010s. Yeah, but one, one of them's got a star on it from the uh, yeah the uh, dodgy uh, season, wasn't it? That was when they had the lockout. Oh, what and was it like the 50 games? Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 50 games, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, this is a real specific for you, which is, I think we should use, to do it to all our coaches. If... Yes. This team, you need to now put a coach to it. As a, as a coach, you oh, got to blimey. pick your favourite coach. Yeah, yeah, like that. Oh, that's such a that is such a such a tough question. Because um, up to last season, it would have been Monty Williams because um, of the way he turned around Phoenix. But the last two playoffs, where we kind of gotten a bit embarrassed in the playoffs, you know, in two two game sevens in a row where we've been destroyed. I don't think he's there but um does that ooh. fall on him i think some of it did i think some of it did i don't think he had it had his team fully prepared you know and would you have done something different then there's there's lots of stuff going around with deandre Ayton and him falling out and him not wanting to trade him or him wanting to trade him but the front office not so he was made to play a player player that he didn't want and didn't utilize him properly so there's a lot of that sort of stuff going around which i kind of follow a bit on twitter and things like that so it's quite interesting to see which why this next season is going to be interesting because he's now not got him coaching him so theoretically he's not got the 
what he's putting down his reasons for he played badly towards the end of last season he hasn't got that there anymore so he needs now to he's, find a new excuse this he's, year he's got to put up put up or shut up oh coach Phil Jackson Phil Jackson yeah, big Phil yeah. in the old Scotty yeah yeah he <laughs> executed that triangle offence with the Chicago Bulls to I mean how many perfection. then Eleven? then Shaq and Kobe as well afterwards we got know. Six with Jordan. I yeah. think he got two as a player. Yeah, I, th- I think it's two, wasn't it? With two as a he player, got so three, three with Lakers. Did they three Pete? I think Kobe and Shaq. Kobe had four altogether, but I Kobe don't know. had five yeah. rings in the end. Yeah, yeah, he got five because he got three with Shaq, didn't he? And then Shaq left. Yeah, and then he got a couple with Paul Gasol. Yeah, because there's a thing that says with Shaq saying. When Kobe got his five in his hand up, yeah. Shaq's like, I just tore my house up. <laughs> I was so angry. Yeah. You wanted it, didn't he? Yeah, oh, you wanted it. But would that be, I'm not going to say throw a curveball there, if you have that many elite players, realistically, can they play together? I mean... Yeah, you need the right players, which is why you kind of, you need to have the ones who are unselfish and ready to not try and do it for themselves and that's the, that's the big problem with that sort of thing um, it's that unselfishness and you need the ones who are willing to make that play and even if that play is make a good pass that's what yeah. you need to do yeah so I've got the stat here 13 rings wow. Phil Jackson's importance and impact on the game of basketball cannot be overstated not only is Phil Jackson one of the most influential figures in sports history but he's also the most winningest NBA coach of all time earning a remarkable 13 rings throughout his coaching and playing career so I think it's two rings as a player with New York yeah I think uh, I'd yeah. say and then six with the Bulls and yeah. five the Lakers. there's your 13 five with the Lakers yeah. wow so that was the last time New York were good wasn't it so <laughs> I think so don't speak to Craig Hughes about that well you know it is what it is yeah they'll come back one day won't they? they will they will well I think that wraps up the show Tom it's been a massive pleasure yeah, having you thank on you guys. thank, thank you for your time Love appreciate it, it. Well, if you haven't listened to any of our other episodes before, go back and listen to them and check out the site. Go look at Portsmouth Force, go look at all the other feeder teams. And as always, come and contact us. Give us your questions, give us any of your feedback. We'd love to have you, Tom. And we're looking forward to some more guests coming up, Paul, soon. 100%. I don't want to say the guest names because it, it, sometimes if they, they rearrange. They get sick or they rearrange or... Yeah, it throws things off. Who knows? But we've got some more people who get to stay tuned and we look forward to seeing you next time. So whenever you are listening and wherever you are thank you so much take care